Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Gold on the Barroom Network. I'm Salim Sutterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Shield Jr. Edward, how's it going today? Hey, I'm good, man. Uh, Bulls have been really entertaining, even though fighting some injuries, but they've had some really good games. DeMar DeRozan is just on an absolute tear, and Vooch looks like he's Vooch again. So yeah, I'm good. We've had some good Bulls games. The team is hanging on. Number two in the East right now. How's it going with you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Bulls, uh, DeMar is doing great. I, I do have a quick question for you before uh, we bring on our guest here really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever had a great a week, a week at work as DeMar has this past week? Like, have you ever been in that zone at work where you're just like, you're figuratively <laughs> dropping 35 every night? Yeah, where like you're just knocking out every material and assignment and that you're given and you're just you're just in like a creative zone and I feel like I've had weeks that might be like 80% of that but like I was telling you through text any anytime DeMar takes a shot in the fourth quarter it just feels like it's going in he gets to a spot and there's no stopping it even if he takes a shot where two defenders are contesting it I'm okay with that at this point Right. It'd be kind of like, you know, if you're working at nine to five and it's like four thirty, that's where you really start cooking. Yeah. Like it's that's it's that go time and you have like this project that's due and you're just like firing away and just finishing the like, getting it done. That that's yeah. that's a that's a good uh, example there. But he's in the he's in the <laughs> uh Damar and Vooch right now, they're just they're they're both carrying well, Io too. I mean, Kobe, it's just, the team is just playing really well throughout all these injuries. And it's just been, even if you want to question the schedule lately, it's still been really impressive to watch. Yeah. Yeah. They're all, they're all definitely feeding off of DeMar and, you know, they're, they're doing their thing as well, but no, it just, it's just great to watch. And we're going to be talking a lot, you know, just the season, how it's gone. Uh, we're going to kind of do like a post trade date deadline uh, thoughts on, the Bulls obviously didn't make a move, uh, what they may potentially do on the buyout market and just, you know, give our thoughts on uh, like the, the roster overall and what they project going for the rest of the season. And let's go ahead and bring our guest on. He's going to actually help us, you know, give us his thoughts on all the above that I just mentioned. Uh, he writes for basketballnews.com where he covers the NBA as well as he writes for Liberty Ballers where he covers the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, the one only Jackson Frank. Jackson, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. And I remember we we spoke last year and I'm glad that we can talk about a, a team that is right in the thick of the top seed rather than maybe hoping for a plan. So I'm happy for the two of you to, to have such a good team to cover, but I'm excited. The Bulls, as the two of you know, have been playing really well and uh, I think are one of the more fascinating teams to to analyze from a title contention perspective. So I'm excited to get into that. Yeah, it's been, it's been a weird, like, long ride like we had like five years of just like horrid basketball where we're trying to you know analyze if a guy like Larry Markin will finally get it together wondering why certain guys aren't developing and this and that and yeah we're finally uh like my co-host likes to say we have uh adults in the in the room uh, all around doing getting things done for us yeah well this is uh we we went into the season expecting a fifth or sixth seed. Like, I think we would have been fine if the Bulls were a fifth or sixth seed, like right now. And the fact that they have been number one in the East for a decent stretch of the uh, year and 
top two right now, even with injuries and the defense not playing at the level that they have. It's just been incredible. So yeah, they've, they've been entertaining. They're interesting. And it, it's looking like a fun ride on the way to the postseason. Yeah, definitely. And Jackson, you you were actually one of the people before the season started that said, you know, this team is has the potential to be pretty good. Um, you had wrote an article about what you saw in them as far as uh, where they could end up, how how you maybe foresee that everything happening. Uh, what would you say thus far looking at this team up till now? Where do you see some of the positives uh, that you've uh, that you've like appreciated and you know yeah this is going really well and then what are some of the things that you like to see or maybe they can do better at yeah so I think the positive when they're at full strength I think this defense has been really impressive uh, I wrote about their defense early in the year obviously they've slid to a little bit below league average with injuries and you know their two best perimeter defenders who kind of key everything out of the lineup um, that but that's been encouraging I think a lot of people who were skeptical of them worried how they would be better than like the 20th ranked defense uh, and at full strength I think this is probably a top 10 defense it's it's tough to kind of look at season-long ratings because so many guys, so many teams have been missing key guys. Obviously, the Bulls are dealing with that right now um, with kind of their two best defenders. Um, but then uh, the other positive is DeMar has been awesome. Uh, I, you know, he's he's gone from a guy who was maybe right on the periphery of that that all-star status uh, in San Antonio to a guy who, you know, the season ends today, you would be, you'd have to get real flexible to leave him off of an all-NBA team. Um, and so that, that's a huge kudos to him. And the other problem in the offense has been, I think, according to Clean the Glass, they're third in the NBA right now. People expected them to be great, but um, they've been awesome since kind of a slow start. And I think what's been encouraging is you've seen that the players and the coaches are kind of figuring out the optimal roles for guys a little better now. So um, those would be the three positives to me. Um, I really am curious to kind of see where the defense levels out. I think, I don't think it was a, it was a niche defense, but that aggressive style that, you know, I'll be really handsy at helping the passing lane so much can be one that teams may figure out the second or third time you play them. Um, so I am curious to kind of see if they can get Lonzo and Caruso back before the end of the year, where they, what they kind of look like there. Um, the negative to me is I still do worry about the interior defense. They've given up a lot of big games to uh, whether it's a, a four man or a five man. Obviously, you know, we saw what Jamal and B's on a couple of times. Even Julius Randle's had a few big, a couple of big games, I think, against the Knicks. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some guys, but I just recall I've watched, you know, enough of the Bulls that it seems like when a guy goes off against them and their defense struggles, even with Caruso and Alonzo in the lineup, it's been because, you know, Vooch is struggling in a one on one matchup or they're just too small at the four spot. Obviously, that's exacerbated by Patrick Williams' injury. Um, but that would be the biggest thing to me. Um, and then I just, you know, I just wonder kind of, again, I, I, it's not a concern so much, but I just wonder like, is, is, is this defense good enough to make it work in the playoffs? Because high level passing teams, another thing that's really hurt them. I remember that when they played the Warriors the first time in golden state, uh, the Warriors kind of trounced them. And a lot of that was because the Warriors are a great passing team. So if you can kind of work around Lonzo and Caruso, you have a better chance of exploiting the Bulls defensively. So those are my three things I would keep an eye on that could be kind of negatives moving into the, the stretch run or even the playoffs. Which teams do you think have in the Eastern Conference have the best chance? You, you mentioned Philly with Embiid. Uh, which teams do you think have the best chance or are built to really expose the flaws of the Bulls as we get later into the season and even in a playoff series. I mean, the, the Bulls, this Bulls team is a really small but versatile team. And as you mentioned, they don't have a whole lot of size up front. And Vooch, while he is a, I think Vooch is a passable defender, but he's not the impact defender that I think a lot of people would want, but still does things well. So which teams do you think would probably be best built to really expose the bulls when it comes down to it. Yeah. And, that, and that's, and that's, what's kind of a, a bummer for me is someone who like, I, like I was big on the bulls relative to kind of expectations. I don't love their matchup with a lot of the other teams that are vying for a top two, three seed, um, which is not an indictment on them. Again, the expectations have shifted, right? You were talking at the start of the year, you'd be happy there in the five or the six seed. When you say five or six, you don't mean, the five now, which is the bucks soon after you mean like the five that's an eight or nine games out of the top seed. Right. So, um, I, I don't love the bucks, especially, um, I think that's a tough one because they have three stars who love to kind of use their size, all the different, you know, capabilities, right. Giannis versus Middleton versus Drew, um, but three kind of strength based creators to an extent. Middleton is more of a height based guy. He loves shooting over the top of you. Um, so I don't like that very much. Um, 
I, I, I mean, the Sixers, I mean, the Bulls are 0 3 against the Sixers this year. I know that they haven't had other guys the last time they played, um, but they were pretty much close to fully healthy when they played in November twice, if I recall. And the Sixers won both of those games too. So I, I don't love that. Um, I don't, I don't hate the heat matchup. Honestly, the heat are almost similar in the sense that they're kind of small on the inside. Um, Bam is a great defender, but he's, you know, he's six ten, six nine. They don't have a lot of size of the four. So I don't hate that. Uh, I think the Cavs are a fine matchup, but I think the the Sixers and the Bucks right now to me uh, are the, are the two worst matchups. I don't think the heat are great. I think the heat are a pretty good passing team, um, which kind of, you know, they they play a similar style defensively. It's obviously in different ways, but um, I feel like they're kind of well-equipped there. So even if they're not super big, even though some of the same deficiencies, I just think they are maybe a better version of the Bulls to an extent, mm-hmm. um, which is very, very reductive. I don't mean that, you know, across, across the board, but um, yeah, I don't love the the Bucks and the Sixers, especially and then the Heat. I'm not a huge fan of, but I don't hate that one as much, even if I think the Heat are quite good. Let's talk about the roster itself when we like the individual players. Uh, one of the biggest surprises in the and even like the most optimistic Bulls fan that was very excited about signing uh, a player like DeMar DeRozan, for example, who we're going to talk about here. Um, he, he didn't even kind of envision him having like an MVP type season. Like, okay, I think he's going to be an all-star. He's going to fit well with Zach. They'll play well off each other. But it's like we're getting into, you know, this late in the season and, and it's some fans are actually mad that he's not getting more MVP recognition, which rightfully so. Like, I'm not saying he should be the MVP, but Hey, he should probably be in the top four ish, maybe five range where people are really considering him and saying, Hey, he could potentially steal some votes here. Um, yeah. So let's talk about DeMar. How, how have you seen with him coming into the season? What has surprised you at his play? And how do you see his uh, fit overall working out with the Bulls? And how do you see as the rest of the season goes on into the playoffs for him as well? Yeah. And so I think the biggest thing, and it's funny, I was talking to a few people yesterday and like, they were kind of asking like, what's the biggest difference with DeMar this year? And beyond maybe it's like improved off the ball defense for stretches. And he's been kind of inconsistent since the start of the year, but I think better in general, it's just that he's making more shots. Um, but I think the the product of that is he, this is the first time that he's been like, like not clearly the best shot creator his team. And you could, you could kind of, if you want to go with Lowry, I get that, but it's a different type of shot creation, right. Than what he had in Toronto. Um, Zach Levine is dang good. Everyone knows that. Uh, and I think switching has been a little more prevalent this year than in prior years. Um, and so would you, if DeMar is able to attack those switches, you I mean, you even have Vooch too, like Vooch isn't a great, you know, he's been better out of late, but like, you can't just, you can't just fight through every play that involves tomorrow, right? Because he's going to be able to find Vooch. They've had really good chemistry this year in the pick and roll. Um, and so he's got two really, really good offensive players around him. And, you know, I think switching has been more common, like I said. And so he's getting mismatches a lot. Um, he just, he's, he's a guy that, you know, it's not any star, but he's a guy who you have to really disrupt his rhythm. Um, even if he, even if you think that that 20 foot step back or a leaner from the left wing, there's a bad shot. It's not for DeMar. He, his footwork is so good. He's wrecked that out so many times that it's just like, you know, it's, it's second nature to him. So um, I think those are the biggest things is better, like better creation around him, you know, with, uh, and then just the fact that more teams seem like they're switching and DeMar will just torch you on switches. If you're not, if you're not disciplined enough, if you're too small, like, I mean, you know, I watched the wolves game the other day and um, they threw what, three or four or five different guys at him. And um, you know, if they're too slow, like maybe a Jared Vanderbilt got caught reaching a couple of times or Jim McDaniels, he'd, he'd drive by them. If they're too small. Like Patrick Beverly, he'd shoot up the top. Um, so he just has so many different ways to beat you. And um, there hasn't really been a, a great way to, to make that happen. Like I would love to watch, you know, DeMar, this version of DeMar versus Ben Simmons. And that'd be really, really fun. I mean, hopefully we get that. You know, I don't know if the Bulls and Nets play again. Maybe we get in the playoffs, but um, I think that would be a really fun one too. So uh, it's just that he's he's in a better environment offensively and um, he's getting a little more favorable matchups, but he's also just shooting the heck out of the ball and he deserves all that credit for that. Yeah, with his shooting in particular, I was just very curious uh, to see if to this season was more of an outlier compared to past seasons. And I looked at the like last five years of his shot shooting chart the last this season, including the last two seasons, and that about 15 to 18 foot radius, like around the basket radius, there's a lot more green, like when you look at the chart and as opposed to the two seasons prior to that. So I think like 
as far as the shot making, I would say more so to this season. I feel like it's more, it's been more about volume has been increased. Like his usage is higher this season than last two seasons, as opposed to him just making more shots. I think that's what's been, it's been um, his efficiency, I should say. And in that range, it's just been more volume as opposed to him just finding a way to be more efficient. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Cause like I said, I, I was looking at like the, the charts. I was like, he's actually not doing anything different this season as far as his efficiency is concerned. But like I said, it's just a higher volume. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing that I want to point out too, is he's not taking many more threes than than previous years, but he is shooting better. And I feel like that has helped him play off the ball a little more, you know, with the starting lineup because, you know, Levine has to get his touches as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, he's, he's shooting a little, I'm looking at kind of cleaning the glass here, which separates um, mid range, short versus long, short, ver- short mid range is four to 14 feet, 14 feet right to the free throw line. Anything beyond that for long mid range is inside the three point line and beyond the free throw line. Um, you know, 70% of his shots are coming from mid range overall. Um, he's shooting 52% on those short mid range jumpers, which I think kind of matches with the eye test. That's a career high. Um, that's the 90th percentile. He's shooting 49% on long mid rangers, but that's the same as last year, too. Um, 50% overall, 48% last year. So I kind of agree that he's not doing a ton differently. I think he's just making making a few more shots and the three point three point volume is the same, but he's making more of those too. So um not much not much looks different. He's just on a team that, you know, is in a fairly big market and is winning and he gets to benefit from having a little more talent around him than he did in San Antonio and I think he's a better player than he was at the end of his Toronto tenure too. Um, I, you know, I think he obviously has his playoff foibles, but, but I think he is better insulated now to maybe work past those. He's not going to get the premier creator every night because if you do, you, Levine is more than capable of working the pick and roll instead. Um, Vooch is more than capable of, you know, working the short roll where he's been fabulous all season, especially as a passer. So um, I have less, I have less worries about, you know, I worry about the bulls, like I said, but, I think it's far too reductive when a playoff perspective like, yeah, DeMar, DeMar can't do it, but you know, there's, there's nuance to it. And I think this is a better setting for him, but yeah, shot profile wise, not a lot jumps off the page. As you said, he's just, he's just making more shots, which is cool. Um, it, it's fun that sometimes it can just be that simple with, with analyzing a guy. There's a lot of things you can overthink, but sometimes right. it's just straightforward, which is cool. Yeah. I think, and, and you touched on it, briefly but that's kind of the one thing that i'm most interested in hearing from you is how do you think all of this translates into the postseason because in toronto DeRozan was not particularly great in the postseason and in san antonio i mean in that one series he was a lot better but that's always kind of been the knock is that can he do things like this in the postseason consistently what what is your like faith level in him being able to translate this? Because I, I tend to think that with the way he's playing right now, that this is just a different, well, obviously just a different DeMar DeRozan than we've seen. And I just don't, I don't anticipate him like having those same struggles, but it's the playoffs and you never know. Like defenses are just at a different level because everyone knows what's coming. And DeRozan to his credit though, has just continued to succeed while everyone's known what's coming each possession because the bulls aren't running anything like complex. They're giving the ball to their best players and telling them to get out the way. So what's your faith level in DeRozan being able to continue this in the postseason? Yeah, I think it's, it's moderately high. I, I do worry to an extent like he's having a bit of an out, outlier shot making career or year. And then maybe that's just for every reason he experiences some unfortunate regression in the playoffs. Um, but in terms of similar like struggles to last year, I, or previous years, I should say more likely or more accurately, excuse me. Uh, I don't really worry there because like I said, he's never played with a wing creator, like, like exactly. And again, I'm not trying to discredit Kyle Lowry for anyone who's listening. It's just, a di- you just don't be put different players on Kyle Lowry versus Tamar Rosen. You can kind of put similar defenders on Levine versus Tamari. They have different strengths. Obviously you prefer someone who's very good off the ball because Levine is a deadly cutter and, and kind of off screen shooter, but in terms of like size and physical profile, you can kind of put them, put similar defenders on them. That wasn't the case in, in Toronto. And that wasn't the case, you know, there was nobody of DeMar's caliber, um, even with DeJounte Murray's growth in San Antonio, when they played in the play in last year, or when you know, they played the series against the Nuggets a couple of years back. So um, I don't really worry about it from that standpoint. And, you know, that doesn't even get into the Vooch stuff where he's, I mean, 
Vooch has been kind of figuring things out offensively or as a scorer, I should say, but he has been money all year on the short roll, you know, on those four on threes that, you know, Zach Levine and Tamar Rosen create. So um, that's a good release valve that he's never really had. I, I think um, I could be making, I could be missing one, one or two centers during his Toronto era. And I apologize if so, but um, the Vooch has just been so key to this offense being elite. And I think that sort of a release valve, especially one that is now, you know, you know, two prong rather than just primarily as a passer when Vooch for some reason couldn't anything inside the free throw line for so long. Um, that's no longer the case. So I'm pretty encouraged by that. I don't worry to them about tomorrow. Um, the shots might not fall, but it, it feel, it would, it would still feel different to me than his past struggles. Yeah, definitely his with him. It'd be interesting to see, like I said, if he can just kind of replicate what he's doing and, uh, what he's doing right now and to going into the four, um, into the postseason, and you expect, like you said, you expect efficiency to go down just because he's going to be playing more top defenses compared to uh, in the regular season when night to night uh, defenses aren't equal, and also there's more uh, obvious game planning uh, going on within a series, seven game series. Um, another player that has been pretty much a big surprise for. Uh, a lot of Bulls fans, um, depending on who you ask, there's certain Bulls fans that are also uh, Illini fans that just, you know, die by um, Io Sumu, who we're essentially going to talk about now, is been at times playing like a starting point guard, which is surprising. You get this guy at 38th pick, you know, there's a lot of criticism with AK trading away first rounders, um, future first rounders, and all of a sudden the 38th pick, you're essentially picking a guy that could potentially, if you do a redraft, going the lottery um, in, in certain drafts. Uh, so what are your thoughts about him as far as uh, what you've seen out of him, his development from the start of the season to now and how you see him being a big factor for the rest of the season going into the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, you can't say enough good things about him, honestly. Uh, he was a guy, you know, I first started watching the Bulls this year and he would pop a little bit and I would make a note of it, but obviously I wasn't watching every game, so I didn't want to like jump the gun because – you're 12 games in the year and you, maybe you watch four or five of them. Maybe he's good in my viewings, but he's, he's poor in the other one. So you don't want to make a fool of yourself, but uh, the defense has been good from the start. Uh, obviously the jumper has been, you know, on the money all year, 41% from three. I think he's almost shooting 60% on twos as well. Both of those are ridiculous numbers for a rookie, let alone a guard. Um, league average, I think, is usually like 54 to 55% on twos, and he's shooting 60%. A lot of his are fairly easy, um, but still there. I, so that, that's that been impressive. Just the, the way he's been able to knock on those corner threes all year, the way he's been such a menace defending on the ball, navigating the screens. But as more injuries have happened to, you know, whether it's Levine, maybe it's Tamara out with COVID or, or briefly early, you know, earlier this year, uh, Caruso and Lonzo out. He's handling these playmaking responsibilities really well. I love how well he's able to, you know, he's able to attack close after attack drives and make an interior pass or a skip pass out. Um, just such a good passer when he's working downhill. That's been really impressive. Um, he's got that kind of one or two dribble pull up as well, attacking closeouts. Um, because he's also starting to garner more aggressive closeouts for a while. Teams were a little bit more hesitant because his release is a little slower. Um, and that was kind of the case in college too. So you can see the scattering reports are changing and whatnot. Um, but it's just been so impressive for him to thrive in basically every role the Bulls have given him. Obviously, the much the scope of his role these days is much bigger, and he looks just as comfortable as he did when his job was to guard the third best, you know, perimeter guy on the floor or second best and take corner threes versus now he's you know, running a lot of kind of side pick and roll, early offense, ball screens, and and making it work really well. So I've I've just been really, really impressed with them. And um, I, I think you can't really overstate the optimism that you know, Bulls, Bulls fans would want to have in the organization. And so that's a credit to Io. And it's also a credit to, to the coaching staff and the surrounding teammates that put him in those positions to thrive. That's not always easy. And um, so it's uh, everyone involved deserves credit, but obviously Io more than anyone else. And so uh, the main thing that just stands out is, every role that he's played complex, simple, you know, he's, he's thriving in this year. Yeah. yeah the biggest thing, sorry, I just wanted to say the biggest thing that surprised me is as the season's gone on is, uh, and as a pick and roll ball handler, he's in the 90th percentile as far as uh, points per possession is concerned. Now it is lower volume, but as the season's gone on, Billy has asked him to do more and there were guys, especially because of injuries. And that's been, that's been pretty shocking to me. I mean, he shows some point guard ability. He did show point guard ability in college level, but when the season started, he seemed very shaky uh, being that ball handler. Um, like he would, his reaction was very like, you know, like let's just push the ball and attack the basket as opposed to let's 
gather, let's see what's you know the defense is doing and things like that. So to me, that's been this most surprising. And at being only 20, 22 years, 21, 22 years old, it's like, man, what what's the ceiling for this guy? It's just it, it kind of makes you really think. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say if people want more uh, on IO, Mark Schindler, basketball news, wrote a really great piece priest about three weeks ago. Um, so I, I would check that out for sure. Mark does a lot of great work as well. I'm sure the two of you are familiar with him, of course. So yeah, um, for everyone else listening, I would definitely go give Mark's piece a read, but yeah, IO has been really, really impressive. And as you said, the fact that he's earning more responsibility over the course, here's what you want to see from rookie, but it's not always easy to do that. It's, it's a little easier maybe on a team that doesn't have aspirations, but I shouldn't say, I should say short-term aspirations. Every team has aspirations, um, but it's, it's harder to do on a team that has a pretty good stable of guards and ball handlers. So um, big credit to Io, And I think it's cool that he's, he's, he's handling it so well. I've just been impressed that he's, he's not unwilling to make mistakes. And I think that's important too. And um, he doesn't really make a lot of mistakes either, which is, which is impressive. So um, I, I can't say, you know, enough good things. I mean, he almost has as many st- combined steals and blocks. He does turnovers. It's not like he's just, you know, like he's just swinging the ball to the shooters. He's like I said, he's making a lot of really impressive interior reads, big man and cutters. So um, been really, really enjoyable to watch. And absolutely, you know, one of the most impressive rookies this year. Yeah. Uh, the Bulls like ensemble of guards has just been fantastic this year. Like we were saying on the last show, the fact that when everyone's healthy, that IO is that like technically your fifth guard is just crazy. And one of the guys who's also been really good this year and starting to put together more consistent stretches is Kobe White. And he struggled for a few games at the start after missing so much time and all season with an injury. But his shot making has been such a big part of what the Bulls are doing, especially the fact now that he has to do less creating for himself and he can pick his spots more so as a tertiary or like a fourth creator on the floor sometimes. So when defenses are swarming to DeMar DeRozan, Kobe White is just getting really quality looks. So what have you noticed about Kobe White this season that has impressed you, especially his defense too seems to have been improved as well. Like I think he went from being a bottom tier defender to having more nights than not, he's a passable defender. So what do you think about Kobe, what he's done this season? Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I, I don't want to toot my own horn or anything, but I wrote a piece back in September maybe about how this, this situation for Kobe was a really, really good chance for him to show exactly – what sort of value he can provide on offense, especially. Um, and he's basically done that since he, since he returned the lineup after, I think it was shoulder injury. Um, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. those first, first few games. Um, right. uh, and so was it, was a shoulder injury? Was I correct there? Or am I making it? Well, yeah, he had, he had the shoulder injury, but then uh, he had obviously expectedly he had a rough start because he was working his way back from that injury, but then he had also COVID, protocols for like three weeks and after he came back from that is when he started um kind of getting in his groove yeah it was it was a it was a rough uh start to the year for Kobe, but i'm very glad he's moved past it but yeah i think you know and the biggest thing that i hopped on that piece was like he has a chance to really thrive here but it's going to require him to kind of shift how he approaches things offensively and he totally has. He's he gets himself into precarious spots way less often. He's quicker as a decision maker. And it's not just that quick decision making is like what you want necessarily. You want the decision making to be good, right? Like it's you jack up a three with a hand in your face because you caught the ball within a third of a second. That's not good decision making. But he's quick. He's attacking off the catch. You get into those pull-ups um really well. He's shooting the heck out of the ball since that slow start. You know, I have the splits here. The last 28 games, 43% from three, 47% from the field. Um, about trying to see here exactly uh, just about 16 points a game, not really turning the ball over either, despite the fact that he still has some ball handling responsibilities and we know his handle isn't great. Um, And so that's been impressive, but yeah, the defense is really, really what steps up to, especially off the ball. Um, He's making rotations that like, I don't think he was really aware of in previous years, especially kind of on the inside. Um, Maybe that stems from playing with or learning from guys like, you know, Alonzo Ball, Alex Caruso. Um, I think Billy Donovan's proven to be a pretty shrewd defensive coach. So um, it could be kind of a combination of things, but he deserves the most credit, right? It's, it's one thing to hear all these things in film session or practice. You can actually put it to work. So um, just so impressed with the way that he's making smart decisions offensively and he's reading things a lot better defensively. Um, because even though he's skinny, he's 
he's got some size to him. And, um, and so I've just been really, really impressed with Kobe this year. And, um, I really, I mean, just as we said, I mean, these guards, this, this group of guards is, is ridiculous with, I mean, we're talking about their, their fourth and fifth best guards. And we talked about their, their, uh, their, their second, first or second best guard. However you want to view DeMar versus Levine. Um, that doesn't even talk about their two all defensive caliber guys who I should say at one healthy unfortunately, like injuries might take them out of the, the running, but, um, yeah, just to just a really, I guess it's a fifth and fifth and sixth string. You can call them our wing, but um, you know he's playing some guard. He'll start at guard in the All Star game. So um, just a testament to how ridiculously deep this this pool of guards are, and the pool of guards is, excuse me, and um, they don't really feel overlapping either. Which I think I think is cool. I think Kobe and Io are very distinct players, even if they're kind of you know viewed as those those spark plug, you know, off the bench, off the bench, usually when the team's fully healthy, but just really impressed with how Kobe's taking on this smaller role and thriving it. Cause that's not always easy. And um, he's paired that with some defensive improvements, which I think has been, you know, really, really fun to watch as well. So as the trade deadline passed, a lot of Bulls fans were before the trade deadline, a lot of Bulls fans were expecting a move to be happened because kind of accustomed to um, AK the past year or so, uh, getting really aggressive and going out there and getting uh, some kind of roster shakeup or addition to the roster. Um, obviously, that did not happen. Uh, but I think the biggest issue might be more so teams around them that they're competing with. When you talk about the Sixers, the Nats, the Bucks, uh, the Cavs, all those teams got better um, with an addition uh, of a quality player one way or another. Um, with that said, do you think the Bulls should have been more, um, I guess, real, not as reluctant. I should not as reluctant to trade Kobe and Pat because that was really the hangup for them that they didn't want to make those two pro- young prospects available in a trade and they wanted to find a way around that. Is that something you see as you see other teams that have made big moves and then looked at the Bulls and say, yeah, maybe Kobe and Pat should have been on the table to maybe address the starting four to get maybe a Jerry and Grant, Harrison Barnes, um, Kyle Kuzma or whatever have you. Yeah, I think I probably, you know, I would have been more willing, but I also want, and you're not implying those, but I also want to point out that like, none of us are privy to what those discussions are like, right? We don't know what Sacramento exactly was asking for. We don't know what Detroit was asking for. We don't know, you know, maybe those teams didn't like Kobe or Pat as much. So um, that's not to like absolve the bulls entirely. Um, I just, I always want to make it clear that we don't know what we don't know. Um, but, I, but I would have been willing to do that because like, you know, as we're mentioning here, you got, you have four really good guards, right. In the, for the playoff rotation with IO, Zach Caruso, Alonzo, um, I don't know exactly. Like, I'm sure Kobe, if he if he's good enough, that's awesome to get minutes. But like, I'm kind of figuring out where do those minutes come from for him. I, I, clear, I think he could clearly help this rotation, but could he help them more than the four guys I mentioned? Right, that's where it's tough. So, um, and it just goes with the fact that Demar is having the best season of his career. You don't know if you're going to get that next year. You don't know what Vooch is going to look like. You know, I think he's clearly kind of riding the ship, but you don't know every year. He has a pretty big workload on him. You know, he had a big workload in Orlando too. So, I would have you know, kind of try to maximize this year. And I get why they didn't though, because they've been really, really, really good at full strength. Um, you know, they were what, right? Maybe 27 and 10 ish. I think before injuries really, really started to pile on for them. That's 50. I don't know exactly rough, rough math, 57, 58 win pace. Um, that, that includes, you know, guys missing the start of the year and whatnot, but um so I get the reluctance. I also would say that I feel like the Bulls front office has earned kind of the benefit of the doubt right now, which is all the moves they've made over the last year. You should trust them. And the Bulls went from a team that was perennial, you know, in the top five or six or seven uh, of the lottery to you now a team that is in second place. And that has happened all over the last basically year, um, 11 right. months, maybe dating back to the Vooch trade um, or so. But uh, yeah, I would have made a move. I think, you know, as you mentioned, Harrison Barnes and Jeremy Grant would have been awesome additions, but uh, especially Harrison Barnes, I think he would have really helped this team, but uh, I don't know. It seemed like maybe the Kings were a little more willing to hold on to him once the Kings kind of committed to winning now because I traded for Demonis Sabonis. So um, who knows if he was even available for an actual gettable offer. Um, and so, uh, so I, I would be like, I, I would be critical, but it's very much measured criticism because I don't know what I don't know. Um, but I think you do have to maximize this year as much as possible. But um, 
who knows, maybe you got, maybe they got one more year in them and maybe there's a better, maybe there's something better that arises between now and next trade deadline when they can move Kobe and Pat. Cause those guys aren't going anywhere. Right. You know, they, you know, Kobe, I guess could get an extension this summer. Um, but those guys will still be on the bulls next year. Uh, you know, assuming they would like to be, and assuming the front office wants them, but uh, yeah, I probably would have made a move, but I, I, I get why they didn't because they've been really good. And sometimes you don't want, you don't want to throw someone new into the ring that, you know, is going to take on a prominent release. I don't know how those things work out, but um, it's a complicated, complicated subject, but I think it's, you know, approach it with the right nuance. I, I come to the conclusion that uh, maybe missed opportunity, but we just don't know exactly what that opportunity might have been. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe with Anthony Simmons balling out in Portland, Bulls can manage to get like a 15 pick and we see a big draft day trade or something happening. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I tend to subscribe to your thinking, though, Jackson, because I, like I said, I, with a lot of past Bulls teams, they've had like a really, really good season. And then after that, there's been just some snags that they hit for whatever reason. So I definitely would have loved to see them like make a big move to to fix a hole. But at the same time, you just don't really know what these trade discussions were like, what these teams were looking for. I, I think on the show before the trade deadline, we were talking about like Kyle Kuzma, uh, Harrison Barnes, and it looked like Washington did not want to trade Kyle Kuzma. Sacramento ironically made a, a Bulls type of move like we did last year, trading for like a proven guy while they were not a good team and hoping to kind of turn around their season for uh, this season and the future. So maybe Harrison Barnes wasn't really uh gettable for that so they they didn't really add anybody but there's still buyout uh there's still players that they can get from buyouts uh in the uh, coming weeks is there anyone who you think could be bought out that would really fit this team and what they need going forward yeah that's tough i remember you know when when the, when the outline for this passed along to me i was trying to find some buyout guys I, I could not really think of anyone that came to mind immediately. Um, it seems like maybe, you know, a buyout guy could be someone like Gary Harris. The Bulls don't really need Gary Harris, despite him being a solid player. Um, Mike Muscala could be on the move, but I don't think he is really like a needle mover. I don't think that's really kind of what this team needs. I think, you know, as we mentioned, kind of either a three or a four would be kind of what this team could really benefit from. Just some, almost some bulk and some, some muscle you know, on the perimeter a little bit. Um, and, uh, and I th- so I, I could be missing someone. I don't feel like the Thunder have anyone that they're going to move in terms of a buyout. The Rockets, they don't feel like they do either. Um, you know, Jay Sean Tate's kind of undersized, but I don't think he's a guy that they're going to buy out. I think he's kind of a guy who really helps facilitate the development of their their new their new draft picks and whatnot. Um, so I don't love that. I feel like every other team um, doesn't, you know, is either kind of competing for a plan spot or doesn't have the personnel available. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, a, a fat, fat younger unit would have been fun, but obviously the Spurs were able to get something for him and he's in the spot now where he's getting to play. So that's great for him. Um, so I really couldn't think of anyone. I, I, I wish I had a better answer, but and I'm sure that maybe the Bulls will, ha- will have someone that comes to mind. They're linked to, I think, you know, backup center has kind of been a volatile spot for them all year, whether it's been Derek Jones Jr. playing, whether it's been Tony Bradley, um, you know, whatever it may be. I think they could upgrade there, but it doesn't feel like the most pressing of needs. And so, any kind of addition there might not be huge, but I, but I think if Mike Muscala gets bought out, he's a guy that makes some sense. I've liked a lot of what he's done this year, shooting the ball. Well, he's on an expiring deal. Um, I guess if he was bought out, he wouldn't, he would be on an expiring regardless, but um, playing with some pretty good defensive activity to levels I haven't seen before. Um, so he's a guy that makes some sense, but I don't think it's again, not the most pressing of me is, and I wish I could find someone else, but um, the plan really kind of takes a lot of teams out of the idea of just kind of, prioritizing everything toward development. And I think that's the case this year. I mean, look at the West, there's so many teams that were within earshot still. And, um, you know, even, even the East, I mean, like, I, I think you have, you know, even though the Knicks are kind of in, in free fall, like, are they, you know, I, and there's only two games out of the, you know, they've lost, they've lost, there's still only two games out of the, uh, the 10 seed. And I don't think that's a team that's all of a sudden going to be like shifting gears. Right. I and mean, they've got kind of who they are. They're pretty veteran laden team aside from young guys. And I don't even think they have any one of the four really that, you know, makes sense to be bought out and it could really help the, the, uh, the bulls. So, um, play on, playing kind of hurts their chances a little bit, I think, because teams are kind of vying for that spot. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts about a guy like maybe Tristan Thompson, if the Pacers decided to do buy him out? I know he hasn't had like the best of, of the year as his normal production and everything like that's concerned, but, um, he is a veteran, you know, for 
slash five that could potentially, you know, bring some savviness to them in the playoffs. Um, I think Bulls biggest need, like you mentioned, uh, behind Vooch, it's been kind of a struggle to get consistent um, minutes as far as a backup center is even concerned because Tony Bradley, like with, I mean, he does good things out there, but there's other games where he struggles because there's too much being put on his plate. Um, maybe getting someone like that, or even someone like a, a Robin Lopez, if he were to get bought out. Yeah, so I, I don't love Tristan Thompson. I, I just don't think he's – I think he's kind of over the hill. I don't think he's a guy you really want to rely on in any circumstance in the playoffs. Um, kind of undersized, really doesn't give you much on, on the role. I think for all, for all of Tony Bradley's faults, he's a pretty good finisher on the rim. Um, right. Makes stuff happen on the, on the offensive class as well. Um, so that, that was kind of the issue. Was like I, I totally agree that Tony Bradley's not like been the consistent answer. As you mentioned, he's had some good nights, but – you know, I think back to that game in LA, I think when they were trying to give a lot of short roll reps against the Lakers and he, that was yeah. not his full day. Um, yeah. and I think I had to close my, I had to close my eyes a couple of places. Like, oh my God, why are we doing this to them? Yeah. And then Derek Jones Jr. <laughs> took over that role and he was, he was awesome as a short roller. So, um, yeah, I don't let Tristan Thompson there. I think Moose Collig and my best bet, but I think Robin Lopez has been fine. Um, I feel like he's more of an offensively inclined center at this point with the hook shot and kind of the interior touch, but I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, yeah, that's not necessarily to indict him, but I think at times Robin Lopez has previously been more of a defensively inclined center. Maybe I had a misunderstanding of him when I was younger, but um, I think he's more of an offensively inclined guy, but that's not a bad thing. But um, I don't know if he's like a huge upgrade or Tony Bradley. Uh, I'll say it's not worth it. You can never have too many options. Um, I feel like Robin Lopez is a guy who generally is, is good for the locker room, uh, which is something that I think does matter as well. Um not going to really know. Not going to be the guy who's uh, 15 things on the floor based on the rotation, but um, you know you kind of need those guys. And I think the Bulls have a good, kind of a good collection of some just guys who are used to those spots. But um, I wouldn't hate. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like have an issue if they signed Robin Lopez. But I don't know. You know if he's a like clearly the upgrade over over Tony Bradley. I think you could have run the flaws of both you know, for different reasons. But Muscala again, my favorite one. But I don't even know if he's going to get. I don't know, maybe he likes Oklahoma City. He's played pretty well there the last couple of years. So, um, you know, whatever he really wants, I think is important. Not that you're saying otherwise, but um, yeah, not a great buyout market, I think, in general, especially if you're looking around for that three or four. It's a lot of guards and bigs. Um, yeah, Robin, I mean, I'd be cool with Robin Lopez. I feel like he's six fouls, good character, guy for the locker room. He's fun. Like, even then every now and then you get like the Robin Lopez ejection game where he just goes crazy. I mean, I don't know. Like I'd be, I'd be fine with that. Let me, let me ask you this. Uh, there was a report after, uh, or maybe it was like around the trade deadline that uh, Patrick Williams, he's starting to really kind of like ramp up a little bit. We're seeing more videos of him pregame working out uh and it looks like he is going to return at some point this season. And I think Casey Johnson uh, said that the they they haven't put a hard uh, date on it, but I think like the soft expectation was sometime like in March. What do you think adding Patrick Williams can do for this Bulls team if he can like just kind of like adding him to this rotation again, he's probably not going to be a huge, you know, scoring addition, but defensively adding some versatility, getting some more depth. What do you think he can do for his team and their hopes in the postseason? Yeah, I think, I think the hope would be that he gets some time to acclimate himself, right? Because you don't want to put a ton of pressure on a guy who's basically still in his first year. Um, but I think what he would give you is he'd actually be, give you someone who can, you know, attack and close out a little bit, knock down the catch and shoot three. I know he has his issues with the catch and shoot threes at times, but um, you know, what the guys are playing at the four a lot of the time right now are Javante Green and uh, Derek Jones Jr. I know Javante is like, I've really loved what Javante's brought this. It's been really, really cool to watch him, um, but he doesn't give you much in terms of like actually attacking closeouts and to knocking down threes. He's more of the guy who's going to crash the offensive glass, cut along the baseline, which he's great at. Um, but I think Pat will would be able to, give you the cutting with also with also the spot up threes attacking closeouts, making that kind of linking pass. Maybe um, let's say he attacks a close his man steps up. He can find Levine in the wing or the corner um, for something there. So I would love that a lot. If he's able to kind of come back and be himself and then, yeah, defensively, um, he, he's, he's got, he's got more size, a little more strength, I think, than, you know, especially more, definitely more than Derek Jones Jr. Um, you know, he's got, he's got the size over Javante Green, who's pretty strong, but, you know, he's, he's more kind of a, a wing slash two when playing the power forward, um, which I think, again, speaks to his, his versatility and ability and also 
really don't have his creativity there. Um, but I think you just kind of get some of the best skills that guy like Derek Jones Jr. and Javante Green offer and Patrick Williams. He has his own flaws, of course. Um, the defense isn't perfect and, you know, he can, you know, he can kind of overhelp at times, but um, just having someone with some actual kind of power forward size that can also make things happen, you know, off of the advantages that DeMar, Levine or Vooch create or exploit um, would be really, really beneficial for this team. So, um, you know, because it gives the offense has been there, there are definitely some lines for the spacing gets a little janky. Um, and I think, you know, teams aren't going to like hug Pat on the three point line, but um, he warrants more attention than a Derek Jones Jr. Javante Green. He can also still make those cuts that those two are good at, even not to the same degree. Those guys have been really good cutters this year, in my opinion. But um, that's kind of what I think you would bring. And again, you don't want to put too much pressure on a guy who's this early in his career. But um, if he can kind of continue to build off what he showed at times last year and start this year, I think you should be. That would be a nice kind of wrinkle as your, I don't know, sixth, seventh, eighth most important player. And, um, you know, that would be a welcomed, you know, set of skills. We'll wrap up on this as we get into uh, as the season progresses on here. What do you see this team in the playoffs? Because now maybe I'm looking at it obviously with uh, red colored glasses, but I think depending on matchups, depending on how they match up with certain teams and in a certain round, I could see a window for this team to get to the Easter conference finals. Um, And that's probably be like, the ceiling for them um, unless something crazy happens and they find a way in the finals, but that's probably not likely, but I can see a scenario like that. It's, and again, like I said, it's very matchup uh, dependent. What do you uh, see in them and the, and the playoffs? Like, do you see them as uh, what's your ceiling for them as far as what you would expect um, out of this team? Yeah, I mean, I think you're obviously in the solid, at full strength for everyone involved, right? Um, aside from season and injuries, unfortunately. But, right, right. Um, I mean, right now, like, I mean, you look at the, again, there's still a third of the year to go, but right now I wouldn't, like, I would probably bet on the, based on how the, the bracket would break out, they play the Raptors and then they would play, well, assuming the Raptors win the plan or whatever, um, they would play the Raptors and the Cavs. I, I don't hate either of those matchups for me. I talked about the, some of the ones that gave me skepticism, but I think I would pick both of them to, I wouldn't pick them to win both series there. So, um, you know, obviously that could change. All of a sudden they're playing, you know, the Celtics in round one or uh, if they're the three seed because they're only, you know, they got a game and a half up. So they got some cushion there. Um, But yeah, I think East Carolina finals is totally reasonable expectation. Um, As you said, it's going to be matchup dependent. I don't, I don't love, you know, their matchups again with the Sixers and the Bucks, but there's a chance they don't have to play either either of them ever. I mean, maybe those teams lose, those teams play each other in the first round right now this season today. So, um, you know, let them, let them duke it out. So, right. uh, Yeah. I think, I think a couple of series wins would be, um, kind of about as about as high as I could go, but I feel like as I've become more in tune with with basketball and covering and whatnot, is that weird stuff happens, and so I feel like if you get that far, you got a chance to go around further. But you never know if a team gets injured. I know I try to assume at full strength, but um, I think I always try to assess a team's ceiling with just like baking in the idea of randomness, not predicting anything in particular, but just knowing that stuff's going to happen that we can't foresee. Um, so I, I wouldn't like, I don't think this team is in my upper, upper, upper echelon of, of talent contender, but I think they're very much a team that is, you know, at least in the conversation and has the means to capitalize on maybe some beneficial circumstances um, or beneficial matchups. So um, generally agree kind of the, the likeliest kind of ceiling is, is that Easter Conference finals, but I don't want to rule anything else out because they're really good and they have a good coach and they have a couple of really, really awesome stars. And so um, that can take you a long ways, especially the shot making. I mean, I think that's so important. Um, you have two guys who can kind of get a bucket with a hand in your face. And I, don't, I never want to say that's like the end all be all, but um, two really, really good shot, tough shot makers is a wonderful place to be in the playoffs. So um, I think this team is really good and uh, probably a little lower because I said compared to maybe the top three or four or five title contenders, but absolutely in the conversation is some, a team that, you know, everyone should consider could be, you know, holding the Larry O'Brien trophy in a few months. Yeah. They, they have a shot to win that isn't zero. So <laughs> I mean, that, that's something I'll take that any day of the week. And I think with the, the blockbuster trade between Brooklyn and Philly, it definitely made the East a lot more interesting. I think the Sixers now, I mean, they have Harden and Embiid and now Brooklyn has, uh, you know, Simmons, Katie, Kyrie and, you know, Miami's good. Milwaukee, you can't count out at all. So there seems to be like a firm top five in the East. And if the Bulls are going to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, they're going to have to beat someone uh, really, really good in round two to get there. So it'll be interesting. And we might, we might have a, a firm eight. I mean, the, the Celtics won eight yeah. in a row. The Raptors are figuring things out. The Nets might figure things out if they get healthy. Not that you're saying otherwise, but 
um, yeah, that, that first round is going to be real tough. I mean, it's fun though, but I think the Bulls are are well positioned, and it helps too that you know they're two seed right now. It's always nice to have maybe an extra game at home if you ever need it. So, um, you know, it's it's been cool that they've kind of ridden the ship after some uneven uneven games, and as you mentioned, easier schedule. But you play those in front of you, and those those games count. They don't they don't look at the schedule when they're determining seeding, right? They just they just give it to whoever's got the best record. So, uh, Bulls are absolutely in the conversation, which is uh, really cool. I, I I as someone who's even high on the Bulls entering the year, I didn't think they'd be here. Um, and they are, and it's, it's fun that they've kind of exceeded expectations and then you recalibrate and, and go from there. hundred percent, hundred percent. But Jackson, thank you so much for joining us. Um, any final thoughts that you may have? And obviously please tell our listeners where they can find your work, um, and where they can follow you at as well. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I got everything out that I, that I could in terms of the bulls. They're such a fascinating team. I appreciate the two of you having me on. Mm-hmm. Haven't talked about them recently, um, much beyond, you know, in the public sphere, I should say behind closed doors talking about East Mountain, but, um, nothing, nothing else, but, uh, you can find my work at basketball news, Liberty ballers, dime up rocks and the analyst. You can follow me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. I'm usually pretty good about plugging all my work that goes live. So, um, nothing bulls related on the horizon, but, um, Maybe I'll squeeze in one or two more things before the runs on them. They've been super fun and I have watched a healthy deal of them and it's been super great. So appreciate the two of you having me on to, to talk about a really fun team. No, definitely. appreciate you. One of my favorite writers. So you're definitely uh, someone's opinion. I, I do value. Well, thank you. I, pre- I appreciate that. As long as, as long as I got one person, that's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. All righty. Oh, sorry. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much to uh, Jackson for stopping by and uh, again, just dropping some jewels on us and uh, just has like a very astute basketball knowledge. So great talking to him. Uh, just, yeah, just excited to see how this team looks uh, tomorrow against uh, Sacramento is the last game before the All-Star break. So uh, hopefully they close out. We'll get a look at this Kings team with Sabonis and uh, Harrison Barnes, who could have been a bull possibly at some point, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it, uh, it's, it's going to be good to see uh, this team one more time before the all-star break. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. The revamped uh, Kings will be interesting. Just they they had one really good game where they looked like mm-hmm. the new pieces were really going to click and be, uh, be a problem. And then yesterday they got blown out by like a KD-less, Kyrie-less uh, Nets team. So, Probably a little bit of, uh, um, you know, uh, battles for them that they're going through. But there's still not going to be an easy win for the Bulls, obviously, just simply because the Bulls also are missing so many pieces on their end. But, yeah, that'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, hopefully they can uh, end the, I guess, the first half of the season or pre-All-Star half of the season and on a winning note, but that's a wrap for today's show. If you missed any previous episodes, you can always find us under the Barroom network on all major and minor podcast platform. Uh, thank you again to Jackson Franks for joining us and to the listeners for tuning in as always for Edward Schuler and myself till next time, Bulls fans.